We are back with episode two of the House of No Hope podcast show, and I'm your boy, Julian Payne, and I want to thank you just for being here to listen, and I have a special guest, man. I'm going to talk to you guys about foster give you a little bit about my background in foster care, but this, this, this beautiful, smart young lady, man, she has an amazing, amazing journey uh, in the foster care arena and it's just a pleasure just to be able to know her man and um i'll just give you guys a little bit of background as far as myself with foster care i have always had a desire to work with the youth i mean just growing up uh in the uh, early 80s being born in the 70s early 80s and being going to the uh park and rec center uh and seeing how you know volunteers would like help the kids and one particular moment uh because i was a little bigger and i guess i was i, I guess i ex you know expressed that you know i wanted to be a group leader or something like that and someone was like hey you know i saw how you work with the kids and stuff would you would you want to be one of our youth leaders and i was like yeah you know that would be that would be cool uh and i think that's what really sparked uh, something inside of me to really want to work with, continue to work with the youth. And uh, once I became an adult uh, and a parent, uh, I met a I met a guy who was my client uh, in the barbershop. You guys know that I'm a master barber here in Los Angeles. And uh, he had a desire to work with the youth as well. I think he hit a crossroad in his life after being in the corporate industry. Uh, we're being tied to the corporate industry for so long uh, and footwear, fashion and basketball, sports. He really wanted to tie in uh, his his gifts and talents and see how he could actually give back to his community, which was Las Vegas. Uh, and I really expressed to him that I wanted to do the same thing. I had no clue of what I was getting into, but I just knew that I wanted to fulfill my desire to work with kids. Uh, and my guest that's on today was a huge, huge part of that journey. And not only that journey, but I mean, her journey continues. Uh, my buddy that started um, the his his division of foster, giving back to the foster care uh, arena, his vision is still going. My vision is still going. And we all became family and friends and, and had a great time and have watched the evolution of foster care and uh, have saw some amazing, amazing transitions that the, uh, the youth um, have, have done today. I mean, from, from kids to parents now. And it's very, very fulfilling. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you guys to my sister right here, my friend, and just she's just a boss, man. Ginger Pryor, everybody. Ginger, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Jules. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. No complaints. No complaints. Awesome, awesome. You know, uh, we can we can say that this is uh Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, you know, we we we're uh well Los Angeles now, you know what I mean? Which was uh, I know. This is a whole nother story. <laughs> that is a whole different podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, and this is we're we're, we're sitting in the middle of uh, COVID nineteen crisis, and uh, this is this is a bit different for everybody. And you know, you you holding it down. You're you're an, you're an essential. You know, and you can work from home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting um, eight weeks. That is for sure. Mm, absolutely. I can I can imagine it's been an interesting eight weeks for me um, just being a business owner and you know trying to navigate financially and uh, all I can say is thank God you know what I mean I've, yeah. uh, I've been supported but without further ado anybody knew yeah. that that was gonna happen I mean you couldn't have predicted no. it someone would have asked me a few months ago what I thought I would be doing now it definitely my answer wouldn't have been you know, leading uh, through a pandemic where you have everyone globally, you know, in the world, you know, being affected, you know, by basically by something that they can't see and then trying to navigate, you know, what that looks like. And, you know, in in both of our uh, fields, we we deal with humans, we interact, Mm -hmm. It's, it's a social interaction, you know, despite the fact that they're very two very different industries. So I think the thing that connects them is the social connection, the human connection, and the fact that you know the virus really impedes our ability to do something that's most essential, and that's to have human contact. I think has been difficult. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to touch on uh, a few things, but I want to say, you know, first off, how did you? Before we get to like what you do, what kind of started your journey into uh, leading into where you are right now? Where where did it where did it what inspired you to get involved? Honestly, Julian, and it's funny to talk to you because I know you you and I've known each other for so long, so I know that you know the majority you know of the story. But it really started with my parents. You know, I I think I've got the service bug early just by you know, watching how my parents interacted in the community. My mom worked at the University of Washington. As you know, I'm originally from Seattle. And my mom spent 32 years of her career at the University of Washington serving, you know, the next generation of educated adults, so to speak. And my dad um, worked with developmentally delayed young people, helping them transition into adulthood. And I used to stand right next to him and I used to work um, with developmentally delayed individuals who would help to separate uh, what they call them like widgets and parts for planes at Boeing because my dad used to work at Mm. Boeing before he retired and and my dad also he's 91 years old now and he still volunteers at his church and at the food bank so I think when you come from a family that has a long line of service, my aunt's a social worker, you know, it just, it's a part of your DNA. And so I've never really wanted to do anything different. I started at the age of 18 doing something called chore service work with developmentally Mm -hmm. delayed individuals. And and I've stayed on the same course ever since. So definitely a, a born passion to serve. So that's where it comes from. Okay. All right. That that's that's it's crazy you say that because I mean my uh my parents have always served not only in church but just, you know, personally to 
you know, families in need or individuals and have been just been givers. And you're right. You know, it is something that where, you know, you kind of have to put the pieces together. You're like, man, like, you know, you're not tooting your own horn. Like you have a giving heart, you know what I'm saying? And, and if that's who you are, it's always going to be, you know, who you, you know, expressed by what you do and it's going to come out some way. So, um, that's amazing. Uh, and right now you're, you just got, um, you know, new position, fairly new position. Could you, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I I came to L.A. about a little, gosh, it's been almost two years now, but my first year here, I was continuing to work with a foundation that I spent 12, about 12 years of my career called Casey Family Programs, and they're the largest foundation in the country that focuses on the issue of foster care. And uh, when I got to L.A., um, my previous boss that ran the child welfare system in Georgia, and I was the second in command. Um, an opportunity presented itself for me to serve with him again uh, in a role that would help to shepherd in, I believe, a new era for child welfare um, to what we call changing the narrative of child welfare. So on December 2nd, I, w- I had the privilege to join uh, the Department of Children and Family Services here in Los Angeles as the chief deputy director. So I'm second in command of the largest child welfare system in the country. And I mean, it's, you know, when I say that out loud, sometimes it, it I step back a little bit. I don't think, you know, 10 years ago, shoot, five years ago, <laughs> I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I would have said I would have been second in command of the largest child welfare system in the country, really, quite frankly, in the world, LA, it's not necessarily, I don't say it like it's a badge of honor. It, it means that children, unfortunately, for a variety of reasons are separated from their families. I do say it though, with pride from the standpoint of, I have the opportunity to try to change that. And so mm-hmm. to be able to serve in an arena this large and potentially have the ability to change the way in which we work with families. I mean, and that's something that's really powerful. And I'm excited um, to be on this next journey, this next phase of my uh, career of serving. So, yeah, um, what's so crazy, Ginger, and we all believe, you know, in manifestation and putting our prayers, not only giving our prayers to God, but you know, you kind of manifested this, you know what I'm saying? In a, in a, in a real way, I think Los Angeles have been on your, on your map and you are just kind of like, I want to get settled. I want to be in LA. I'm trying to I know. Like, I remember yeah. we used to talk about that <laughs> in Vegas where I was, you would say ginger bear, as you call me, you know, where, yeah, you, exactly. where you want to be. I'm like, one day I'm going to be living in LA. That's what I'm going to do. And it is, uh, you know, out of your mouth. I mean, as you talk, you know, you mentioned the word and, you know, in the word, it does say there's power, power and death mm-hmm. rests in, in the tongue. Right. So right. you can speak life or you can speak death. And it's the tongue is the smallest, one of the smallest members on your body, but it basically has the most power, you know, to define mm-hmm. where you're going to go, who you want to be. And, you know, we put things out in the universe so you can put positivity out in the universe. And I believe that 
that's what manifests. And if you put negativity out there, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It'll manifest itself. But it mm-hmm. is, gosh, I, what, 2000? We met back in 2007? Was it six or yeah. seven? And yeah. I just remember spending that time with you and really seeing L.A. in a different way. You know, you always see L.A. from like the Hollywood standpoint when you don't live there. But when you end up having friends who become family and you get to see L.A. in a much different way, I just I always felt like, wow, L.A. is where I need to be. And so here we are. And I, I'm yeah, in absolutely. L.A. So. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 just that was a small piece of uh journey and you're you're here um i guess the first thing i wanted to you know is to get a uh, get some information on is like national may be a national foster care month how did how did they pick may if you know how did they choose may and like what are some of the initiatives that um a few things that you can tell us about um you know national foster care month Absolutely. So to be honest with you, I don't know the history behind why it was May. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I do know is that it was really just started to raise awareness around not only the number of children that are in the foster care system, but to really shine a light on people from all walks of life who would step up to serve and help young people who had experienced abuse and neglect. And so, you know, it started out to honor foster parents and to thank Mm -hmm. them for what we say, becoming temporary parents or being a bridge um, so that parents who were in distress may have an opportunity to connect with other positive adults who could serve as temporary parents, if you will, uh, while families may be working on stressful issues. I think a lot of people think foster care is dominated uh, by physical and sexual abuse. And it's not that mm-hmm. that isn't a key fabric of foster care, but the majority of children that are in the foster care system across the country are in the system because of neglect. And what that may mean is a parent could be um, struggling with issues around poverty and what poverty precipitates, you know, homelessness, food insecurity, those types of things. And oftentimes, you and I both know we could find ourselves in many different situations. It always just takes one or two decisions that you could find yourself on a different path. And how Mm -hmm. amazing is that, that individuals that don't know each other would step up um, to serve. And it's really, to me, it's about serving. I mean, even, you know, we're both Christians. And so, you know, from that lens, you know, we believe in the power of prayer and the power of stepping in and the Lord using us as a vehicle, right, to serve and to help Mm -hmm. others. And so, Uh, You know, even in the Bible, like services in there, I don't know, like 700, 900 times. I remember I Googled it once and it's one of the most used words um, in the Bible is service. And it's really foster care is a call to service, in my humble opinion. And that's what foster parents do. And so it was started to raise awareness. Proclamations were done uh, by presidents to recognize May as a time that we would take time out to celebrate those who serve and to bring information to the public about why children uh, come into the system. And so 
I think you you are aware I used to actually be the chair of National Foster Care Month many years ago. And mm-hmm. it was to bring, you know, na- nonprofit organizations together to use their leverage to, you know, give people access to information to understand, but also to provide vehicles so that people so that foster care could kind of be demystified for the public so that they could figure out how they can support children and their families, even if they couldn't become foster parents. It was a vehicle to say, become a mentor, you know, donate to a nonprofit organization, give your time and tutor youth. And so really just a platform to educate and to motivate people to act on behalf of children. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you you, you hit something right there when you said, you know, to educate people. Because right now in this particular, you know, this time that we're living in, um, I don't hear anything about, you know, foster care. But I think more so it's maybe like people who I believe people do actually want to serve feel like they have the time to do so. And that was one of the things that really I had to figure out. I was like, I actually have time to do it. You know, so mentoring doesn't mean like you have to be face to face. Like You can just set up a call with that particular individual. You know, mentoring goes along and not just foster care, but those individuals that just need help. And we remember we having us having a conversation about at risk and what is at risk is a very broad, you know, like view of like. it's not just foster care. It's, you know, just <laughs> young, young general, you know, everyone's at risk at, for something. Uh, and I think that, you know, I'm 46. I consider myself, I'm up there, but I still want to use what time I have uh, to be able to like give back. You know, how can I mentor? And because I have the time and through my barbering, I'm able to drop, you know, 10 minutes of wisdom into a young man's ear about whatever school or focus or whatever. So what would you say to someone that has a desire to possibly um, first mentor, get them, you know, kind of get their feet wet in mentorship? Uh, How can they how how can they find the time and what are the right steps to to uh, get involved? Well, I think, you know, Julian, it's about setting your intention. You know, I think for the longest time, you know, I think people have uh, in their minds so that, that, you know, supporting youth in foster care, it has to be this 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 large grand gesture of fostering. And if you can't either foster or adopt, then somehow you're unable to really support youth or children or infants or their families. And that's just not true. Yes, we want people to foster because if a child um, has to enter our system and they have to be removed from their parents, um, and we have to remove from parents for a variety you know, of different reasons. So I won't necessarily get into the depths of all of those things that that entails, but we have to look at a safety of a child. So if we believe that the safety is compromised and it necessitates our removal, then that means that we have to have people step into the gap while we're working uh, with the parents, working with the families. And that can either be relatives stepping in the gap 
to be what we call resource parents, or it can be strangers that step in the gap to be resource parents, which is another term uh, for foster parents. Some folks are not necessarily aware of the new language, but in LA, it's called resource parenting. Uh, And then, of Mm -hmm. course, if we can't, if we're unable to re, what we call reunify uh, parent, uh, children with their parents um, because it could have been an egregious uh, allegation and then sub- what we call substantiated, which means that it was verified that there was an egregious abuse or neglect and the things that parents were supposed to do didn't happen. So we have to do something called termination of parental rights which would then require us to find a forever family for a child, and that's adoption. And so I always say that those are the highest callings um, of foster care uh, involvement to become an adoptive parent or to become a resource parent or slash foster parent. But there are so many other ways for people to give of their time. There's a quote, I think it might have been MLK, but I'm not sure, but anybody can serve. And Mm -hmm. to your point, it's mentoring and it could be, you know, the depths of mentoring where you're like big brothers, big sisters, where you might be spending, you know, a couple of days a week mentoring and working with a child. It could be tutoring where you're coming in for an hour or two and tutoring, you know, a child in foster care around math or English or, you know, other aspects of their schooling. It could be that you volunteer your time at a nonprofit that you are connected to. So again, whether it's, you know, the Urban League or, you know, the YMCA, there's so many organizations out there, Raise a Child, other places, uh, Friends of the Family, all of these great organizations that in some way or somehow they are working with children. I think the last thing I'll say is I'll use Project We as an example. That's the entity that you and I were both working with when you and I first met and we went on this amazing journey uh, to help youth in foster care. And just using you as an example, as a master barber, I remember there was the day that we had uh, the style shop and you came in and it was that day was I'm smiling because that day was so fantastic where we had all the young people in foster care and they had all these grooming stations and you were talking to young people about what would it mean to step up their style game as they transition into the workplace as they might be going out on a date with one of their friends or they're getting together with a group what does that mean uh, to transition from work to play and and what do they need to do not only to have their resumes ready but their grooming has to be ready so your hair your clothes how do you step up and you took that time that day to really walk young people through that you talk to them about if they had an interest in becoming a master barber or wanting to open up their own salon what would that look like and what skills did they need to have that was a day out of your your entire year or life to be able to do something. You took a couple of hours out of your day to invest in a young person, which really puts an imprint on their lives that there was one adult in their life that took time out of their day that didn't know them at all to -hmm. come and talk to them about how they could better themselves, not just from a, a parent standpoint, but to better themselves from obtaining a job and etiquette and all Mm -hmm. of these other things. And so I share that because I want people to know that it could be something as small as you donated 
$5 to an organization, writing a letter to a foster youth as a pen pal, all the way to becoming a mentor and spending a day inviting a youth to come into your workplace so that they could learn more about what you do, all the way up to becoming a resource parent or an adoptive parent. So I want people to know that I don't want people to back out if they think they can't be, I can't be a resource parent or I'm not ready to adopt. You can still serve. You can Mm -hmm. still serve. Absolutely. Um, That's just, yeah, I I definitely remember the style shop and that was, it's just, it's just amazing to see, see them smile uh, and really get excited because it's the transitions, man, that really matter because a lot of times, you know, myself transitioning from just being in, you know, middle school, like first job, and you don't know what you want to do. You just kind of like, well, I, I guess I got to put my, you know, best foot forward and speak clearly or whatever. But in terms of like dressing the part, acting the part, you know, and really, you know, learning how to gather yourself during a, a interview, you know, that all was it's just kind of like hit and miss for me. I think I, I did. My parents lightly spoke to me about some things, wanting a job and going out. But it really takes, you know, engagement, you know, over over the course of, uh, you know, a few weeks or a month or something like that to really fine tune and get get uh, get yourself ready to go out into that into the world and make a smoother transition, you know, other than you just doing it on your own. And I really believe a lot of kids are doing it on their own. That just gives them no, you know, it it makes them hit a roadblock and then it, it really messes up their confidence and self-confidence. So um, project, we was a definite, you know, godsend and and yourself uh, teaming up with them or teaming up with us and, uh, you know, guiding us through. Um, One thing that I want to, ask you is like the future of foster care with the social media and like are there any like digital um platforms like like you guys are looking like getting engaged more so on social media i know that can be a a, a touchy thing because age is a and kids are protected how is that how is the future of, of foster care looking right now well well, I think one of the things that, you know, we want to do in Los Angeles is something called, you know, changing the narrative or uh, reimagining, you know, child welfare and the way in which, you know, we interact uh, with children and with families and technology is going to play a big role in that. I mean, we're still visioning what that looks like. I think the pandemic has really forced child welfare systems and others to think differently about how we do this work. You know, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to work virtually and do we have the the type of technology that's going to facilitate that? You know, how are we using, you know, things like Zoom and FaceTime and all of these other avenues to have meaningful engagement uh, with young, especially older youth, you know, uh, the, Visitation requirements and things like that are much different for an infant or a toddler than it is for an older youth, a youth who might be 13 or 14. You know, engaging and using those platforms 
are ways in which we, I think, can connect with young people on their level um, in a different way that we really haven't embraced as we should. But the pandemic really has forced us to embrace technology in a way that we have not. I mean, on a small level, we've always used social media to raise awareness, you know, Facebook or Twitter and Instagram and those things. You do have some challenges. Yes, you mentioned the issue of confidentiality. And so each state has different laws around confidentiality about using the image of children on social networks for, you know, reasons that you know, are very clear and apparent to some folks. A lot of children, if they do come in because of abuse, whether it be sexual or physical, putting their image out there for the public makes them vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. If they, um, if they've had serious abuse with their parent, and we need to make sure that the child is protected. You know, we have to keep those boundaries because sometimes, as much as folks don't maybe not want to talk about the underbelly of abuse and neglect, a part of keeping their confidentiality is to protect them, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. protecting them because there's egregious things that have happened uh, with their parents. There's also things like sex trafficking that's happening now, mm-hmm. and children yeah. in foster care become so much more vulnerable. Um, sometimes in other children, just by the nature of what's happening in their lives. And so we have to work to keep them protected. So it's this balance of how do you use technology as a support and at the same time, you know, protect children while you're trying to make uh, these advances in technology. But we're on this journey to reimagine child welfare, the way in which we engage families. How can we do, I have this uh, trio that I always talk about, and I think our main role in foster care is should be about prevention. You know, some people may not be uh, uh, under, you know, understand the severity of protecting the children. I think a lot of people might be a little bit more educated, especially when it comes to uh, sex trafficking. But, you know, foster care is kind of like the, you know, the offense has already happened and foster care has to step in and uh give them resources to um you know to start to start to transition out of that abuse right um yeah definitely um well, i always re- like people to remember when they get fussed some people get frustrated because they want to interact with the youth and they want to help mm-hmm. and i always try to get people to reverse it if it was your child and you were sending them to camp you would want people to be background checked. You're not going to just let anyone interface with your child. And so I always want people to put that hat on. It's not that we're trying to prevent people from interacting with children, but every child in the Los Angeles system is my child. And so when we talk about the 30, almost 35,000 children that are in our system, Um, There are two numbers that always get put out in Los Angeles. The larger number is the number of children that we interact with annually. They could either be in what we call out of home. So that means they're removed from their families and they're in foster care or we're working with the families in home. And so that 35,000 number is the number of children that we work with annually. Then there's another number between 18 and 19,000 and that's, 19,000 of that 35,000 are in out of home. 
And those are our children. And so I have to think of a mindset of a parent. I have to make sure that everyone who interacts with my child means the best for them, that they have been background checked, that they are going to make sure that our children continue to be protected from harm. Nothing could be worse than having a child come into the foster care system because of abuse or neglect and then turn around and then be abused and neglected again because we didn't do um, what we needed to do to protect those children. And so I try to get people to understand it from that perspective at the same time that I'm so grateful and thankful that you have people all over Los Angeles County that want to give of their time um, to serve children and families, but we need to care for them and we need to protect them and we need to be substitute parents until we can do what's necessary in partnership with parents to make sure that children and families can get restored. And so, you know, I just asked Los Angeles, can you have patience when you're being asked to be fingerprinted so that we can background check or when we say don't put their pictures, you know, on Facebook, there's a reason behind that. It's not because we're doing something to them you know, the people who are trying to volunteer, we're trying to protect the child and we're trying to protect the individuals who are stepping up um, to give of their time to serve. And so I just ask folks to think about it from that standpoint. Right. Well, um, a question, another question I have, this has always kind of intrigued me because I just, I've never looked it up. I mean, Google is definitely available to everybody, but um, can you give someone kind of like a, a general outline of um, how, they can start if they have a desire to become a foster parent. Sure. How does the process start? Well, I think the first thing I would love people to do, if you're interested in becoming a resource family slash a foster parent, go to the website. And the website is www.fosterlakidskids.com. And it will give you an outline of the things that you need to do. There's an application. There's an orientation the background checks, there's um, what we call pre-approval and pre-placement training, and there's a home assessment and a family evaluation. Those are really the steps that people need to take if they want to become a resource family. There's also a 1-800 number that folks can call, and that's 1-888-881-1121. And I sent you a little link, Julian, and so I hope that you'll be able to post that. So again, I just would love for people to go to the website, Foster LA Kids, or call the 1-800 number just to get information. And you may just go and get the information and you may need a minute to think about it. Go to the orientation just so you can get your questions answered. You know, stick your toe in the water if you're not ready to foster, tutor first. And then I Mm -hmm. think once you start tutoring a youth, you're going to think, man, I would love to be even more involved with this young person. How might I become a resource parent? I think it's it's like stepping into the, the shallow end of the pool first. And so think right. about like mentoring and tutoring and donating as the shallow end of the pool. And then the deeper end of the pool, um, as you start to get a little bit more practice and you learn how to swim a little bit, the deeper end of the pool is becoming a foster parent, a resource parent, or an adoptive parent. Children need us to do this. We have almost 500,000 children in this country um, that are in foster care. 
and they need support. And the 35,000 children that are in this system, the 19,000 of them that are in what we call out-of-home care, they need resource parents to step up. And not just to serve young people, but you could also be a bridge to a young family, a young mom or a young dad. You know, you're a parent. And so parenting doesn't come with a manual, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, we think we're ready, but, you know, we've got a lot of young parents that need the support and coaching, you know, from, I would say, like a veteran parent. So think about, yes, you're helping to be not only um, a substitute parent, if you will, for that child, but you could also be a bridge to a young parent or parents that need coaching and guiding. And so you can really not only be helping this child, but at the same time, you're helping that birth family so that we could ultimately reunify. I used to say to folks, imagine it could be like a twofer, you know, that a child gets two families, the child gets their birth family, but then they also have like this host family or another other individuals that are in their life to rally around them so that they can succeed extra parents at your graduation, extra parents Mm -hmm. at your wedding, extra parents to help you complete your resume, extra parents to refer you to a job. I just want people to think about it. Um, There's a Mr. Rogers uh, said a quote about from his mom And it was something about troubled times. And I had shared this quote on my Facebook page that whenever there's trouble, like what we're going through right now with the pandemic, always look for the helpers. If you find the helpers, then you're good. Well, you know what? Resource parents are the helpers. And so I'm asking people to be helpers, you know, in a time and time of need for children and their families. Absolutely. That's a, that's uh, that's hits the nail right on the head um people you you really have to know that uh there is a starting point of help and that's just to simply just get involved seek the information and the wisdom you know go on your go on the uh, website she mentioned um and and start there uh and that's how i started i started with curiosity and and and, and it found me you know um can you can you touch a little bit on the statistics in terms of like um you know this with this pandemic i mean i i really really believe like the numbers may be changing not only just for us but for uh foster care parents uh foster care kids like what are some of the challenges um that a foster care parent may face while you know under under this quarantine like is 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 that are your lines blowing up right now what's can you touch on that a little bit well actually you know people probably think that uh we i did a psa a public service announcement about a week and a half ago to bring attention uh to the issue of child abuse and neglect uh it is actually Mm -hmm. on our on our website dcfs.lacounty.gov what we've seen on average, Los Angeles County receives about a thousand calls a day, between 800 to a thousand calls a day uh, with regard to abuse or neglect allegations. And wow. when the pandemic began, our hotline calls dropped in half. We were seeing less than 500 or less calls a day, which 
is unprecedented for our hotline. Mm. A lot of that was contributed to the fact and is contributed to the fact that schools are closed. We have something called mandated reporters. And mandated reporters are teachers, um, folks that you know work in the hospitals, so doctors, nurses, uh, in the healthcare profession, law enforcement, folks like me, social workers. When we see issues of abuse or neglect, we are actually mandated by law to report that uh, to our hotline. And so you can imagine schools are one of our first lines of sight. And so as soon as the schools closed, you know, children who are experiencing abuse or neglect, you know, a teacher would see that, you know, in the schools and they would call our hotline. Well, now our children are being homeschooled. And so you lose a line of sight with that. And so you can imagine that we have some, we have some, a little heartburn uh, about um, the fact that children Uh, are not necessarily uh, being seen in schools. They don't have access now to even go to camps and things like that because of the pandemic. And so we did a PSA to raise awareness of abuse and neglect and to really ask the community to be like helpful neighbors and friends. It's like when you go to the airport, if you see something, say something. And so Mm -hmm. I would ask for people to call our child protection hotline, which is one 800 Five four zero four zero zero zero. Again, that's one eight hundred five four zero four zero zero zero. When you call, help us to help families. You know, sometimes we may go when we get a call, and we may find that it's not about removing the child, but it could be that this family is in serious need of support. But if no one calls and no one says anything and families are completely isolated right now, they're not going to get, you know, some of the supports um, and things that we need. So it really is a call to action uh, for the public uh, to to make that call and just to be on the lookout. I'm not asking the community to start policing their neighbors. I'm not asking that. But I know that if I was in need I would hope that if a neighbor saw something that they would do something because sometimes even when you think about things like domestic violence right now, if you're sheltering in place, you're sheltering in place with the, your abuser. So you have to think about that. And so again, I just would ask people to be kind, um, to help people. Uh, in their greatest time of need, and I and I think the pandemic has has definitely uh, demonstrated the power of helping. And as I said earlier, looking for helpers. So I would ask people to do that. We are starting to see our hotline numbers go up a little bit, especially as the country begins to start reopening a little bit. I think because we have also been putting out media um, alerts. We've done the PSA, as I said. We've put a lot of communication about COVID-19 on our website and all of these resources. I think that it's raised awareness of the public. Uh, So we have seen some of our numbers increase and we'll have to see once the country completely reopens, uh, we will see how things shake out. I do believe though, and the last thing I'll say is that you know, I 
I think we're learning a lot as a result of this pandemic. I think that I'll go back to the prevention aspects. I think this is our opportunity to think about what we need to do collectively as a community to strengthen the supports and services in communities so that we can keep children in their communities and keep them at home. I don't necessarily think that this is an issue where there's just egregious amounts of abuse and neglect that are happening and children need to be immediately removed from their home. I don't want to send that type of message around panic. What I want to send is a message of help and a message of being in service and a message of being kind and a message of linking our arms together to problem solve around how we can raise all boats for all families, all children. And the way to do that is for us to lock arms together against uh, across LA County and begin to start thinking about how we invest in our most valuable resource. And that's our children. And that's the families that support them. That's, that's, that's so well said. Um, that answers, you know, a lot for those who are, are seeking, you know, advice or seeking help. And a lot of people don't know what to do. The first instinct is to, you know, something's going on. We just see this, everyone's reflex is to pick up a phone and start recording. It's just like, say something. Yeah. You know, you guys have to dig down deep and not be silent. Silence is definitely a killer, uh, and uh, you can you can actually do something. There are support groups. There are you know uh, resources out here that are built for kids. Even if you know them to be a family member or something, so it's really have to uh, you really have to dig deep and uh, and say something. You know. Um, one more question I had about uh, foster care. Some like, what uh, what are some of the troubles you know these kids are facing with aging out? I know dealing with Project We Group, um, that was something that we really, really tried to mitigate for the youth uh, before they transition. What, what what are some of the points um, that are still looming, or some of the issues that are still looming for? Uh, foster kids aging out from that program? Yeah, I I think at least for me, one of the biggest things that I see that is a mitigator to to many different things is that a young person having access and being connected to at least one positive adult. Uh, You know, I could get into the stats and all of that, but what I really would prefer to do is to call to the heartstrings and the hearts and minds of folks is that you know, remember who helped you do your first resume. Remember the person who, when you had a question about a boy or a girl that you liked, who you, who you spoke to about that. Remember who was the person that, you know, helped you get ready for your interview. Who was the person that you went with when this was your first apartment that you were getting ready to get? You know, who did that? For me, a lot of those answers fall with my mom. Um, or my dad. Uh, I remember my first job, you know, my mom was the one 
who helped me with my resume. When I opened my first savings account, you know, it was my parents who did that. Uh, and I recognize that, you know, everybody's at different places and it may not be your birth parent, but it was an adult, a positive person in your life that helped you to navigate those things. And so I asked the public to be that one positive adult. I think that when you transition or what we call aging out of foster care, I don't have a desire to have young people age out of foster care. I want children to safely return home and be restored with their families. And if we're unable to do that, I want to see children be adopted and have their forever family. My goal is to get to a place one day in life and hopefully I will see that, you know, in my lifetime. You mentioned your 46 years while well, I've been for 51 years around the sun. And I would love to see in my lifetime where a young person doesn't have to age out of the foster care system um, and not be connected um, to an adult and connected to family that supports them. I believe if we can do that, um, we can mitigate issues around unemployment because that's a big issue for young people who are aging out. Issues around homelessness, we do find that research says a lot of young people when they age out, if they're not connected to a positive adult, find themselves homeless or what we call couch surfing. Um, I think that relationships are impacted. If you don't, if you don't have a modeling around relationships, think about the different choices that you might make if you don't have a visual of what it means to be a strong, positive, whether it's a male or female that has a this attitude that you can be and do anything, that comes from somewhere when you see that. If you see that model before you, then you are going to go out with the confidence that you're going to have that. And, and, and that's what we need for young people because what adults need to realize is that one day those young people are going to be running this country. And so ask yourself, who do you want in the driver's seat as you because we become senior citizens and you know all these things who do we want helping to support us in our elder years you want confident loved positive well-rounded young adults that can do that but if we send damaged um disconnected people young people out into the world what is the what do people think is going to be the result of that so we have the ability to i always say that if you can put a positive handprint on the life of a child then you have every opportunity to change the trajectory of the future we can change the future of what will happen in this country but we have to do it by investing in young people so there we go said it like you said it all right there um ginger i really appreciate you uh coming on to the house of no hope podcast show and um guys please log on to the website if you have any questions that's dcfs.lacounty.gov and you can get all your answers um your questions uh answered from there we gotta let her go man ginger thank you so much for uh just providing people with the information and most of all you know i love you i love you back and, uh, Jules. thanks for having yeah, me we, fam i appreciate it absolutely and no problem and have a good day okay you too i'll talk to you soon yes all right bye Bye-bye. all right hey, we're Julian, back are you there? yes i'm here can you hear me 
Yep, I can hear you now. All right, perfect. All right, so you were talking about the, the children being, uh, the child being protected. You have to protect their identity. All right. Um, yeah, I can, I can totally, I totally understand that. I really had to be educated uh, myself with that. There was, you know, we had to go through the background check and yeah. everything. And it was, uh, it was worth it. But, you know, some people may not be, uh, uh, under, you know, understand the severity of protecting the children. I think a lot of people might be a little bit more educated, especially when it comes to uh, sex trafficking. But, you know, foster care is kind of like the, you know, the offense has already happened and foster care has to step in and uh, give them resources to, um, you know, to start to start to transition out of that abuse. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, well, I always like people to remember when they get fussed. Some people get fussed because they want to interact with the youth and they want to help. Mm -hmm. And I always try to get people to reverse it. If it was your child and you were sending them to camp, you would want people to be background checked. You're not going to just let anyone interface with your child and so i always want people to put that hat on it's not that we're trying to prevent people from interacting with children but every child in the los angeles system is my child and so when we talk about the 30 almost 35,000 children that are in our system um, there are two numbers that always get put out in Los Angeles. The larger number is the number of children that we interact with annually. They could either be in what we call out of home, so that means they're removed from their families and they're in foster care, or we're working with the families in home. And so that 35,000 number is the number of children that we work with annually. Then there's another number between 18 and 19,000, and that's 19,000 of that 35,000 are in out of home and those are our children and so I have to think of a mindset of a parent I have to make sure that everyone who interacts with my child means the best for them that they have been background checked that they are going to make sure that our children continue to be protected from harm. Nothing could be worse than having a child come into the foster care system because of abuse or neglect and then turn around and then be abused and neglected again because we didn't do um, what we needed to do to protect those children. And so I try to get people to understand it from that perspective at the same time that I'm so grateful and thankful that you have people all over Los Angeles County that want to give of their time um, to serve children and families. But we need to care for them and we need to protect them and we need to be substitute parents until we can do what's necessary in partnership with parents to make sure that children and families can get restored. And so, you know, I just asked Los Angeles, can you have patience when you're being asked to be fingerprinted so that we can background check or when we say don't put their pictures you know on Facebook there's a reason behind that it's not because we're doing something to them you know the people who are trying to volunteer we're trying to protect the child and we're trying to protect the individuals who are stepping up um, to give of their time to serve and so I just ask folks to think about it from that standpoint 
Right. Well, um, a question, another question I have, this has always kind of intrigued me because I just, I've never looked it up. I mean, Google is definitely available to everybody, but um, can you give someone kind of like a, a general outline of um, how they can start if they have a desire to become a foster parent? Sure. How does the process start? Well, I think the first thing I would love people to do, if you're interested in becoming a resource family slash a foster parent, go to the website. And the website is www.foster, F-O-S-T-E-R-L-A, kids, K-I-D-S, dot com. And it will give you an outline of the things that you need to do. There's an application, there's an orientation, the background checks, there's um, what we call pre-approval and pre-placement training, and there's a home assessment and a family evaluation. Those are really the steps that people need to take if they want to become a resource family. There's also a 1-800 number that folks can call, and that's 1-888-881. One one two one, and I sent you a little link, Julian, and so I hope that you'll be able to post that. So, and I just would love for people to go to the website Foster LA Kids or call the one eight hundred number just to get information. And you may just go and get the information, and you may need a minute to think about it. Go to the orientation just so you can get your questions answered. You know, stick your toe in the water if you're not ready to foster tutor first and then I think once you start tutoring a youth you're going to think man I would love to be even more involved with this young person how might I become a resource parent I think it's it's like stepping into the the shallow end of the pool first and so think about like mentoring and tutoring and donating as the shallow end of the pool and then the deeper end of the pool um, as you start to get a little bit more practice and you learn how to swim a little bit, the deeper end of the pool is becoming a foster parent, a resource parent, or an adoptive parent. Children need us to do this. We have almost 500,000 children in this country um, that are in foster care. And they need support. And the 35,000 children that are in this system, the 19,000 of them that are in what we call out-of-home care, they need resource parents to step up. And not just to serve young people, but you could also be a bridge to a young family, a young mom or a young dad. You know, you're a parent. And so parenting doesn't come with a manual, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, we think we're ready, but, you know, we've got a lot of young parents that need the support and coaching, you know, from, I would say, like a veteran parent. So think about, yes, you're helping to be not only um, a substitute parent, if you will, for that child, but you could also be a bridge to a young parent or parents that need coaching and guiding. And so you could really not only be helping this child, but at the same time, you're helping that birth family so that we could ultimately reunify. I used to say to folks, imagine it could be like a twofer. You know, that a child gets two families, the child gets their birth family, but then they also have like this host family or another other individuals that are in their life to rally around them so that they can succeed. Extra parents at your graduation, extra parents mm-hmm. at your wedding, extra parents to help you complete your resume, extra parents to refer you to a job. I just want people to think about it. Uh, there's a Mr. Rogers 
uh, said a quote about from his mom and it was something about troubled times and I had shared this quote on my Facebook page that in it, whenever there's trouble like what we're going through right now with the pandemic always look for the helpers you, if you find the helpers then you're good well you know what resource parents are the helpers and so I'm asking people to be helpers you know in a time of, in time of need for children and their families Absolutely. That's a, uh, that's, a, a, that's, it hits the nail right on the head. Um, people, you, you really have to know that, uh, there is a starting point of help and that's just to simply just get involved, seek the information and the wisdom, you know, go on your, go on the uh, website she mentioned, um, and, and start there. Uh, and that's how I started. I started with curiosity and, 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 and it found me. You know, um, can you can you touch a little bit on the statistics in terms of like, um, you know, this with this pandemic? I mean, I, I really, really believe like the numbers may be changing, not only just for us, but for uh, foster care parents, uh, foster care kids. Like, What are some of the challenges um, that a foster care parent may face while, you know, under under this quarantine like is 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 that are your line blowing up right now what's can you touch on that a little bit well actually you know people probably think that uh, we i did a psa a public service announcement about a week and a half ago to bring attention uh to the issue of child abuse and neglect uh it is actually mm-hmm. on our on our website dcfs.lacounty.gov what we've seen on average los angeles county receives about a thousand calls a day between 800 to a thousand calls a day uh, with regard to abuse or neglect allegations and when the pandemic began our hotline calls dropped in half we were seeing less than 500 or less calls a day which is unprecedented for our hotline. Mm. A lot of that was contributed to the fact and is contributed to the fact that schools are closed. We have something called mandated reporters and mandated reporters are teachers, um, folks that you know work in the hospitals, so doctors, nurses, uh, in the healthcare profession, law enforcement, folks like me, social workers, when we see issues of abuse or neglect, we are actually mandated by law to report that uh, to our hotline. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine schools are one of our first lines of sight. And so as soon as the schools closed, you know, children who are experiencing abuse or neglect, you know, a teacher would see that, you know, in the schools and Mm -hmm. they would call our hotline. Well, now our children are being homeschooled. And so you lose a line of sight with that. And so you can imagine that we have some, we have some, a little heartburn uh, about um, the fact that children uh, are not necessarily uh, being seen in schools. They don't have access now to even go to camps and things like that because of the pandemic. And so we did a PSA to raise awareness of abuse and neglect and to really ask the community to be like helpful neighbors and friends. It's like when you go to the airport, if you see something, say something. And so I would ask for people to call our child protection hotline, which is 1-800-540-5555. 
four zero zero zero. Again, that's one eight hundred five four zero four zero zero zero. When you call, help us to help families. You know, sometimes we may go when we get a call and we may find that it's not about removing the child, but it could be that this family is in serious need of support. But if no one calls and no one says anything and families are completely isolated right now, they're not going to get, you know, some of the supports um, and things that we need. So it really is a call to action uh, for the public uh, to to make that call and just to be on the lookout. I'm not asking the community to start policing their neighbors. I'm not asking right. that. But I know that if I was in need, I would hope that if a neighbor saw something, that they would do something because sometimes even when you think about things like domestic violence right now if you're sheltering in place you're sheltering in place with the your abuser so you have to think about that and so again i just would ask people to be kind um to help people uh in their greatest time of need and i and i think the pandemic has has definitely uh demonstrated the power of helping and as i said earlier looking for helpers so i would ask people to do that we are starting to see our hotline numbers go up a little bit especially as the country begins to start reopening a little bit i think because we have also been putting out media um alerts we've done the psa as i said we've put a lot of communication about COVID-19 on our website and all of these resources. I think that it's raised awareness of the public. Uh, So we have seen some of our numbers increase and we'll have to see once the country completely reopens, uh, we will see how things shake out. I do believe though, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, I, I think we're learning a lot as a result of this pandemic. I think that I'll go back to the prevention aspects. I think this is our opportunity to think about what we need to do collectively as a community to strengthen the supports and services in communities so that we can keep children in their communities and keep them at home. I don't necessarily think that this is an issue where there's just egregious amounts of abuse and neglect that are happening and children need to be immediately removed from their home. I don't want to send that type of message around panic. What I want to send is a message of help and a message of being in service and a message of being kind and a message of linking our arms together to problem solve around how we can raise all boats for all families, all children. And the way to do that is for us to lock arms together against uh, across LA County and begin to start thinking about how we invest in our most valuable resource. And that's our children. And that's the families that support them. That's, that's, that's so well said. Um, that answers, you know, a lot for those who are, are seeking, you know, advice or seeking help. And a lot of people don't know what to do. The first instinct is to, you know, something's going on. We just see this. Everyone's reflex is to pick up the phone and start recording. It's just like, say something. Yeah. You know, you guys have to dig down deep and 
not be silent. Silence is definitely a killer. Uh, and uh, you can you can actually do something there are support groups there are you know uh, resources out here that are built for kids even if you know them to be a family member or something so it's really have to uh, you really have to dig deep and uh, and say something you know um, one more question I had about uh, foster care. So I'm like, what, uh, what are some of the troubles, you know, these kids are facing with aging out? I know dealing with Project We Group, um, that was something that we really, really tried to mitigate for the youth uh, before they transition. What, what, what are some of the points um, that are still looming or some of the issues that are still looming for uh foster kids aging out of, from that program? Yeah, I I think, at least for me, one of the biggest things that I see that is a mitigator to, to many different things is that young a young person having access and being connected to at least one positive adult. Uh, it, you know, I could get into the stats and all of that, but what I really would prefer to do is to call to the heartstrings and the hearts and minds of folks is that you know, remember who helped you do your first resume. Remember the person who, when you had a question about a boy or a girl that you liked, who you, who you spoke to about that. Remember who was the person that, you know, helped you get ready for your interview. Who was the person that you went with when this was your first apartment that you were getting ready to get? You know, who did that? For me, a lot of those answers fall with my mom. Um, or my dad. Uh, I remember my first job, you know, my mom was the one who helped me with my resume. When I opened my first savings account, you know, it was my parents who did that. Uh, and I recognize that, you know, everybody's at different places and it may not be your birth parent, but it was an adult, a positive person in your life that helps you to navigate those things. And so I asked the public to be that one positive adult. I think that when you transition or what we call aging out of foster care, I don't have a desire to have young people age out of foster care. I want children to safely return home and be restored with their families. And if we're unable to do that, I want to see children be adopted and have their forever family. My goal is to get to a place one day in life and hopefully I will see that you know, in my lifetime, you mentioned you're 46 years. Well, I've been 51 years around the sun. And I would love to see in my lifetime where a young person doesn't have to age out of the foster care system um, and not be connected um, to an adult and connected to family that supports them. I believe if we can do that, um, we can mitigate issues around unemployment because that's a big issue for young people who are aging out issues around homelessness. We do find that research says a lot of young people, when they age out, if they're not connected to a positive adult, find themselves homeless or what we call couch surfing. Um, I think that relationships are impacted. If you don't, if you don't have a modeling around relationships, think about the different choices that you might make if you don't have a visual of what it means to be a strong, positive, whether it's a male or female that has a this attitude that you can be and do anything that comes from somewhere when you see that if you see that model before you 
then you are going to go out with the confidence that you're going to have that. And, and, and that's what we need for young people because what adults need to realize is that one day those young people are going to be running this country. And so ask yourself, who do you want in the driver's seat as you because we become senior citizens and you know all these things who do we want helping to support us in our elder years you want confident loved positive well-rounded young adults that can do that but if we send damaged um disconnected people young people out into the world what is the what do people think is going to be the result of that so we have the ability to i always say that if you can put a positive handprint on the life of a child then you have every opportunity to change the trajectory of the future we can change the future of what will happen in this country but we have to do it by investing in young people so there we go said it like you said it all right there um ginger i really appreciate you uh coming on to the house of no hope podcast show and um guys please log on to the website if you have any questions that's dcfs.lacounty.gov and you can get all your answers um your questions uh answered from there we gotta let her go man ginger thank you so much for uh just providing people with the information and most of all you know i love you i love you back and, uh, Jules. thanks for having yeah, me we, fam i appreciate absolutely. it absolutely and no problem have a good day okay you too i'll talk to you soon yes all right bye there you go guys hey listen uh foster care is is not a game man i i beg that you guys get involved figure out how you can get involved in your uh in your community doesn't have to be los angeles it could be anywhere in the country uh most of you guys travel abroad um and have dual citizenship get involved man children are really the future um i think from this segment episode two house of no hole podcast show you guys can your takeaway should be to get involved with the youth period you don't know their story you don't know their background because they may not be telling you that they come from the foster care system or they're in the foster care system you just really have to just dig down deep and don't be so shallow uh and thinking that kids are just annoying and everything like that really engage try to engage whether it's through uh, a youth group um, and go through the process take your time and go through the process uh, to get involved in your your community and you will find something very fulfilling uh, to come upon you man you you'll you'll really feel like you really did something uh, in someone's life all right hey guys thank you so much for listening in I'm your boy, Julian Payne, and this is episode two of the House of No Hope podcast show that was dedicated to National Foster Care Month. I appreciate you listening. Go check us out on Spotify, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.